You notice he's bigger than you? Yes. And younger. Yes. Bet on him if you like. I may. Hey there, enthusiasts. Welcome back to Hero Talk. I am your host, Judge Greg. Joining me today, I have once again, Nick. Hey, Nick. Welcome back to Hero Talk. Thanks for having me again. All right. Today's film is uh, a personal favorite of both of ours. Not to get that out of the way too early, but it is. <laughs> uh, this is the uh, the 1999 historical fiction action film, The 13th Warrior, starring Antonio Banderas. Uh, as always, Hero Talk is a spoiler podcast, folks. Nothing is off the table. Everything is fair game. You've been warned. All right. So, Nick, did you know this movie was one of my personal favorites? I believe it's come up in conversation in the past. Yes, it is. Uh, it is one of my personal favorites. I've noticed recently that, like, most things having to do with, like, uh, the Vikings and then the Norse and a lot of that seem to come up in a lot of my favorite movies. Um, <laughs> I've also seen Frozen like 200 times. I don't know if that's somehow connected to all of that. Uh, <laughs> Is that going to count as a, as a Disney Junior reference tangentially? Tangentially, I suppose it could. Yeah, Olaf did appear on an episode of Sophia the First. Well, there you so go. So there, there is a Disney Junior tie in there. All right. So this is Thirteenth Warriors, starring uh, Antonio Banderas, uh, and I just I've always liked this movie. Now it didn't get a whole you know great ton of of, of positive. Uh, What's oh, the yeah, word the, crit- the critics hated it. Yeah, it was critically meh. It, it, that that would be an optimistic interpretation of the critics' reaction. Like almost all the critics hated it. A lot of audiences didn't like it either. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think it requires someone uh, like an audience a bit more like us to enjoy it so much. Yeah, it's it's really you sort of have to be in the right mindset as a moviegoer to appreciate a movie like this. Mm-hmm. And it that's not it's not always a mainstream mindset that that we walk into when we start, try to watch these movies. But I mean, I I I love the crap out of this movie. Uh did yeah, not yeah. do well in the box office. And 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 yeah. actually the the actors, a lot of the actors didn't like doing it either. I, I know, I was just hearing that and I was actually Omar quite Omar Sharif who played like kind of a bit Melchizedek. Part. Yeah, he was he was apparently so upset about the final product that he temporarily quit acting. I I heard that you know he wasn't in very much of the movie either. No, he was just kind of. Uh, uh, he was an, exclusively uh, in in the first two scenes, I think. Yeah, it's the opening bit where he was there yeah. to aid in exposition. Yeah, I was gonna say first act, but I'm like, no, he didn't even make it through the first act. No, he was a couple of scenes and then he was done. But yeah. Yeah, it was, it was very, very interesting. And, uh, so the biggest challenge I think we're going to have here, truth be told, is that I watched this movie very recently so that I could prepare myself for, uh, for, for this recording. And man, I, there are 13 warriors and I know the names of two of them. <laughs> well, I, can I guess the two? You can go ahead and guess. The first one should be Herger. You know what? Here's the thing. Herger's my favorite of, of the character in the entire movie. <laughs> of course he is. I, I only know his name because I went and looked it up. <laughs> After watching the movie, like, if you would, like, talk to me last night as soon as the movie was done and said, all right, so what's that guy's name? Couldn't have told you. I had well, to look one it up. Of, one, of the, one of the problems with that is that they're all named, most, uh, almost all of them. I think one of them was named Olaf or was referred to as Olaf, 
which is a fairly recognizable name. But a lot of the other ones are like Herger and a a few other weird ones. Like it's really hard for a contemporary non-Swedish mind to kind of absorb and understand all the names. And I mean, you don't don't hear them very often either. It's not like they use them often enough to hear. There's 13 names that are completely foreign to my ear. And like the first time I'll even hear anything is uh when they'll say like oh health dane is gone. Like oh poor health dane. Yeah. I remember him. When you look well, at part, when you look at IMDb they... and like the the credits, <laughs> they like they even like after their person's name, they even put in like a little description like just in case you couldn't remember who they were. Yeah. So Herger was joyous, uh like health dane I just mentioned is Fat like Edgtho was silent, so super helpful there. Um, Although he talked a lot, he was one of the more talkative ones. He was yeah. the one in black. Yeah, Rethel was Archer. You know, I, I remember that guy. Yeah, I remember Art. Like you say, Archer. I'm yeah. like, oh, I know exactly who that guy was. Yeah, <laughs> he's the guy with the bow. The dude who had the bow the whole time. Um, so I was looking for, uh, and I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was Weath, but like his name should have been Kilt because that's how I would have known him. The, it, well, he was the uh, the what was it? The Irish yeah. Viking. The Irish Viking, of course. I'm not, I'm not sure what was up with that. I'm sure there was <laughs> there was some creative decision that went behind the Irish Viking. I mean, in in theory, uh, you know, when, you know when, the- when Vikings would pillage an area, they tended to kind of take aspects of that culture with them, and or so maybe like, they kidnapped a kid. Yeah, and he just got fully assimilated and appropriated, and somehow maintained. But they got him when he was old enough to maintain the accent. Yeah, but when I'll, you think I'll, I'll when they speak that. English in this film, what they're re- they're really speaking their their native language. They're speaking like Swedish. Yeah. However, he still speaks with an Irish accent when he's speaking English, which is really supposed to be Swedish. So I believe he speaks Swedish with an Irish accent. Such a thing must exist. I imagine. I mean, that has to happen somewhere. What do you think of 13th Warrior? I have a lot of fun with it. I agree. There's, there's, yeah, it's, it is certainly not a perfect movie. And, um, I think, uh, I actually think sort of in a, in a more overarching scale that this was a movie that came like it as a film project was undertaken at about the worst possible time to undertake a film project like this. And in particular by that, I mean, before Lord of the Rings. At yep. which the success of that would have given studios a lot more patience with a big sort of historical or, you know, sword and sorcery kind of era epic. And let's make no mistake about it. If you just look at the budget, this was an epic movie. I mean, yeah, no, it, it goes down. a like hundred hundred million dollars was the budget. Yeah, I guess 85. I've, I've seen it all over the place, which is really odd that you can't really nail it down because usually you can. But um, well, I think most people involved with this movie kind of just don't want to pay attention to it anymore. I mean, I was actually looking up some information about this on YouTube and YouTube's autoplay. The next video was the entire movie on YouTube. (laughs) That just kind of gives you uh, an indication of how little anyone gives a crap about this movie on the business side, which is, you know, unfortunate because, I mean, as we're saying, we think it was a better movie than that. But, you know. But, I mean, there's there's interesting parts about this movie that I didn't realize. Like, And I think first and foremost, even before we go into the cast, um, 
Ahmed Ibn Fadlan, and I think I said that right. I am not sure. He says it a couple times in the beginning of the movie, and then I think Bullwive says it once to him as his name, not even the full name, and then they don't say it again. Because mostly they call him Little Brother or Arab. But yeah. uh that's an actual dude. He existed. He was an actual emissary to some of these these lands that he was portrayed as being in the movie. Yeah, in fact, that was why, since this book is based off a of Michael Crichton novel, The Eaters mm-hmm. of the Dead... Um, I, I can't remember exactly what the description was, but apparently Michael Crichton had a challenge from a student to tell Beowulf boring or not (laughs) boring or something like that. And he chose to do it in this actual person's writing style. And that's, that was the origin of Eaters of the Dead. Interesting side note to that. Apparently, uh, Michael Crichton did a lot of research for this to make it look like it was a real, you know, um, historical telling Mm -hmm. and to fill in the gaps because obviously this isn't a true story right he forged a bunch of research notes and (laughs) when he went late yeah later he went back and tried to figure out like reference himself or figure out what was real was he forged them so well he couldn't figure out if he just couldn't find this reference or if he made it up yeah i i hear he he's he's fooled more than one historian into believing that some of these things that he referenced, which were totally fictitious, were real things, which was, I mean, I think that's a, it's credit to, to Michael Crichton. Yeah. Who, it seemed like he had, uh, a relatively big role in actually the creative, uh, the creative, uh, direction of this film. Yeah, I think it was, like, he was disagreeing with, uh, some of the directions the, uh, actual director was making and yeah. made a couple of changes. Uh, there's one change I know of, that I actually strongly disagree with, but we can get to that later. Yeah. Um, I think he also, he had something to do with whoever scored. Like, Jerry Goldsmith did the music for the film. Did a good job. Music's great. Yeah, music's great. I think there was somebody else who did the film, and yeah, it was, it was when they were trying to do the original part, and so like, Michael Crichton basically said, like, this guy who did the original film, because there was originally uh, a movie that was supposed to be Eaters of the Dead in 1998, and it totally failed all test screenings. And so one of the things Michael Crichton did when he came over and, like, sort of took over from that is he got rid of the original, all of the score from that movie and said, nope, new guy. Hmm. So anyway, that's a rumor I've heard. So let's talk about the cast as best I can, given that I didn't know who a lot of these people were. And just by their names, I'm not exactly reminded of who they were. Um... But, so Antonio Banderas, as we said, played, uh, Ahmed Ibn Fadlan. They, the original joke was he says this, uh, to, to Herger, trying to like uh, yeah. let him, let him know what his name was. And eventually they were just like, all right, Eben. He's like, no, no, Eben means son of. And they're like, no, Eben. But then at one point in time, um, uh, Bulvai did actually call him Ahmed in a fight. In, in a line I would have completely missed if I didn't have closed captioning on. Hmm. It was, I think, in one of the raids on the village. It must have been, uh, the raid on the, the second raid on the village. Cause Bulvai, I think, tossed him armor or like chain mm-hmm. mail or something or maybe a sword. Can't remember what. But in closed captioning, he actually calls him by his name then. Which I guess makes sense because once he can speak the language, he can finally just say, all right, so long as we're here, um, Evan's not actually my name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh, although just in a sort of character building way, because, I mean, we have a lot of trouble understanding the names and with context, you don't really need to hear people calling him Ahmed. Mm-hmm. And instead, having them call him like Arab or little brother in a, a, a you know, a jovial way. It's I, I found that quite charming. 
Uh, it was what I, what really kind of helped sell it is the fact that it didn't seem like they, they made it seem like all right so he kind of had a lot to learn about what he was doing but he didn't ever take a lot of it personally and even in some points like when when he rides the horse to knock the other guy off <laughs> it was uh it was really funny because like even the guy falls off the horse and he's laughing at it he thinks it's yeah. hysterical and you know even he comes up and then Bullvi says your dog can jump <laughs> although although that's another kind of one of those weird historical inaccuracy things with the movies my understanding is that vikings actually rode ponies so yeah the, the arabian horse would have been a whole lot bigger than their horses not that vikings probably wouldn't have ridden the biggest horses they could like draft horses if they could but you know whatever it's fun yeah it, it's it i try not to take the movie too seriously but that was you fun shouldn't. you really shouldn't. or when it was uh when antonio abed or sorry when ahmed uh cut down his sword from like being the giant claymore down to uh, a scimitar something that he was trained to handle <laughs> yeah because that would absolutely destroy a blade you can't just yeah. grind something down <laughs> i know it doesn't curve. work like that yeah that's <laughs> not how swords are made but on top of which the 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 broadsword really big swords still aren't that heavy they're like maybe two pounds or something yeah it, it was kind of two funny. and a half two and a half is an enormous sword they made it seem like the thing was like 30 pounds when he's trying to wield it and it's like that's swords aren't that heavy but anyway i mean the idea is i mean you don't have people with cloud strife freaking buster swords going around it's like you have to you, you want to move it really fast so you can stab it moving targets. Yeah, but when he cuts it down, and I want to say maybe it was Weath who said, when you die, can I give it to my daughter? Yeah, that was the uh, the, the Irish Viking there. Yeah. Which, which in turn, was another just sort of one of those great moments where it was like, clear, like they, they it, it was the friendly kind of busting each other's chops kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> give an Arab a sword and he makes a knife. <laughs> it, was, it was really, I, I liked that. I thought that back and forth was really good. So I got to ask again, it was, was it Herger or Herger? Herger. Herger. All right, I'm gonna say Herger because I'm I have no tongue for for Swedish, but um, played by Dennis Storhoy, and as we're going to see with a lot of these people, I don't recognize other stuff they've been in, and usually because some of it is Swedish. Yeah, a lot of it probably. Um, I've I, I've looked and I've looked and I've looked. Uh, I, I, I don't know anything outside of 13th Warrior that he's been in that I recognize. I don't think we're going to see a lot of Disney Junior connections. In <laughs> I think we've already exhausted that one. Yeah, I, I think by loosely tying Frozen to this movie is about as close as we're going to get. They're, they're, one of the Vikings was named Olaf, I believe. Uh, Not in the credits. At least uh, in the I dialogue. See. I know in the dialogue. He was one of the ones Somebody... that died in the first raid. Oh, yeah. They, uh, man, they those... changed his name somewhere along the way. I'm looking to see if there there is an Olaf in there. And so part of the issue is, like, I can't even talk about some of these characters. Because I'm like, that one, you know, <laughs> she showed up at that one part and she said stuff. And I think that's her. I don't know. I didn't say her name. <laughs> so I, 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 I really tried because I did not want this to be, like, I did not want to try to hurt, like, the Hero Talk product by coming out and not knowing the names of the characters. But seriously, I've seen this movie <laughs> 20 times now. And again... <laughs> Had to look up Herger's character, like, just to figure out what his name was, because I knew I'd be talking about this guy the entire <laughs> talk. Um, I, I'm really surprised, though, and this was the big thing that stuck with me. I finally remembered Melchizedek. I know exactly who that is. I probably, oh, I recognize the name. Which yeah. one's he? Melchizedek. Omar Sharif. Oh, right. You mentioned that earlier. Yes. Melchizedek. So, his that's that's my take. Father's dear friend. Yeah. So, one of, one of I think, a really clutch moment, and, and Herger... <laughs> He was portrayed masterfully, masterfully. Uh, there was a, a little subtle moment that I didn't catch 
any other time I've seen this movie. This was the first time I picked it up. I was really glad I did. Is that when they start the movie, like, Herger's always the guy who's like, he sort of, he knows what's going on. Like, he's he's probably the he, one of the smarter ones. Mm-hmm. He's the one who spoke Greek so that they could actually converse with each other. When they were talking, he was actually speaking Latin. Yeah. But that I, was, I, think that was he recogni- I think he recognized the Greek and responded in Latin. Yeah, they were speaking Latin. However, the movie was cut in such a way to make you believe it was Greek. Yeah. But it was actually Latin. That well, is- I, well, I, I think uh, Melchizedek was speaking Greek when uh, Herger responded in Latin. Yeah. But they, they were able to, to converse. Yeah. And, and talk to each other. But it was, uh, he always seemed like he was smart. He knew what was going on. And you see, like, in the beginning when, like, when he knew what, what got, what one guy was going to do, like, he tells Ahmed, like, all right, no duck. And he does that. <laughs> and as, as he becomes familiar and he, he becomes closer with, with, with Ahmed, he starts to do that. Like, remember when Ahmed was going to jump his horse and he grabs the other guy, he's like, duck. Mm-hmm. And it kind of says, like, now, now that he's gotten his grasp on Ahmed, now he's anticipating his moves yeah, ahead of time. That's, that's, that's true. The other guys. It was, uh, it was, it's so subtle. I've never picked up on it until this most recent watching when, when I kind of realized like, oh, so this is, this is Herger kind of figuring things out and saying, all right, he's one of us now. Now I'm anticipating his moves. And so now I'm telling you to get out of his way because now I know what he's going to do. Yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. he's basically kind of the lieutenant to, uh, Bolvi's commander. And yeah. he's the one who kind of keeps the team together. Yeah. I, this was, I, I'm, it's a shame that this guy hasn't gone on to do more, more roles in things I would have seen because he, he was the guy, I really liked him. He reminds me a whole lot of Yolis from Hercules, The Legendary Journeys. I'd never watched that show enough. That is a shame because you would understand just how spot on that reference was. If- <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure more of the Hero Talk audience will. will uh, I get that. I hope so. But yeah, no. He. I really got a Yolis vibe from him because he's like he's older. He's a little smarter. He's a little bit more skilled. But he's like he's a smaller in stature guy, uh, like Michael Hurst was, who portrayed Yolis. And they just they they were very similar type characters to me. And I liked how how he was portrayed. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's talk Bulvai. Uh, don't try to figure out how to say his name based on how it's spelled. You won't figure it out. You must just <laughs> trust me on this. Uh, I had to ask Nick before we started recording because if you look at it, it kind of looks like, like Bullwiff because he was kind of based on Beowulf. And so as I, as I was like researching for the movie before I watched, I was trying to like refresh my, my memory on people's names. Didn't work clearly. <laughs> and one of the guys I look and I'm like, I don't remember his name being that. And, and I'm listening for like, are they going to, are they going to say Beowulf somewhere? And almost in the back of my head, every time a new guy walks on screen, I'm like, so are you the one they call Beowulf? Which <laughs> is, of course, a reference to Angelina Jolie's line from the Beowulf animated series, which I'm sure is a hero talk down the line somewhere. Uh, so he is portrayed by, I believe it's Vladimir Kulik, is how you say it. Uh, he's a Czech actor, and uh, he's actually been in a lot of stuff I've seen. Um, however, I can't remember him in any of this stuff, which is awful. Like, he was on the Angel TV series, and he was actually, uh, the Beast, and it was in several episodes as the Beast. I can't remember him to save my life. He, appropriately enough, was on the TV series Vikings. Oh, yeah, I, I actually looked at, I, st- I, I kind of started watching Vikings, and I'm gonna keep going into that, but I, I, I'm only, like, one episode in so far. Yep. Uh, for, for fans of the, uh, the new Tomb Raider series, he was, uh, Nikolai. He did the voice of Nikolai in the Tomb Raider game. Uh, let's see. As Smoke and Aces, which is a movie I've seen but don't remember, he played a character known as the Swede. Well, that sounds appropriate. Yeah. Uh, let's see. He was on an episode of The X-Files. Um, yeah, it's it's stuff I kind of would have known, but 
was on an episode of The Commish. Two episodes of The Commish. It was all about The Commish. Did you see The Commish? I watched it some. Okay, yeah, he was on that. Yeah, so a lot of bit parts, a lot of, uh, a lot of character roles. Did an episode of Chuck, if that's your thing. Uh, he was in The Equalizer with Denzel Washington, but, uh, I don't, I don't think I actually saw that movie, so I can't speak to that. I did not. So anyway, but the bottom line is he's done a lot of stuff, so he played, he played Bullvibe. I actually, I liked his performances as Bullvi. What he really portrayed, and this, this helps the movie, cause the movie falls apart if he can't, that he's, that he's a warrior, but has like a, a, a stoic indifference to what's going on around him. Not exactly, I, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as an indifference, but, um, like a very firm and pragmatic command of the events that are unfolding in front of him. Yeah. Like, uh, when they're, like, right after they, they go through one of the raids, it's like, I think they're demons. Their blood seems real enough. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was the first one to just say, like, it, you know, if they bleed, they can probably die. I mean, he, he came to that realization, um, almost before Ahmed did. Yeah. And, oh, it, entirely before Ahmed did. Yeah. Because it, it, that was after the first raid. And after right. the second raid, Ahmed kind of had, the rest of his uh, illusions about anything inexplicable going on shattered when he can actually, you know, function again. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- another thing they did was they they showed him uh, also being politically savvy and uh, pretty smart in his own right because he what uh, uh, when he was talking with Ahmed, he was saying like, I, I hear that you can draw words because he's talking about writing. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, oh yeah, I can do that. Uh, draw something for me, and and you know Ahmed writes a whole sentence in Arabic, and Bolvai just looks at it for a few seconds, and says okay, and then later they they this was all on their initial trip, and they cross the sea, and when they land, he just says uh, speak what I draw, and he writes almost the whole sentence from memory, which right. is really very impressive. impressive. Yeah, I I was very uh, I was very impressed with that scene. It's something that didn't quite click with me. It, it was, doesn't yeah. translate so well what the purpose is, but mm-hmm. when you kind of realize like he only saw that for like ten seconds, yeah, the briefest of seconds, like, like a week ago, and trained himself to write it back. You know, that's yeah. I. It, they really tried to make sure they didn't try to portray the Vikings, who would have been classically considered more primitive. They didn't portray them as stupid. No, and and that's good yeah. because they, they they were pointing out like. When, when they come into, uh, Hrothgar's, uh, keep, you know, pointing out, like, they, they could already tell something was really wrong. There are no men of fighting age here. There are no bulwarks, no defenses. Nothing's going on. This is yeah. not right. Right. Place could barely keep out a cow. <laughs> so, yeah, very well done. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm looking through the cast, uh, to see if there's really anyone else we, we really need to yeah, talk about. I, I think that's about it. Uh, because, I mean, there's, uh, uh, Ahmed, Roth, uh, not Roth, uh, Ahmed, uh, Bolvai, and Herger are the three most prominent characters by a fairly wide margin. Yeah, basically. I mean, a lot of people are, I, I hate to say it, but they're basically, they're... Fodder? Yeah, they're support. They're there just to sort of let these other characters do their thing. Yeah, and that's why I say this would be different if it was embarked upon after Lord of the Rings, because there would have been more patience to give it enough room to actually define more of the characters. Yeah, 
Yeah, because as you look through, I mean, I guess, you know, Anders Anderson, who played the King's Son, he sort of had a, a plot line. But again, as with most things that are adapted from a novel in the first place, like they could really only take it so far. Really, once he had his buddy there, his right-hand man, who I couldn't pick out of this cast to save my life. Once He's named Angus. I know that one. Yeah, I'm not seeing an Angus here. I, th- I think they had like redheaded giant or something. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna take a quick look at Bullvi specifically called him Angus. And yeah, but as as we've established, just because Bullvi calls a guy something doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, here is why. The guy's name is Chris Angel, and the re- I had to look for him. He's at the very bottom of the INDB list because he was uncredited in the film. Oh, great. Which is a, <laughs> one of the one of the more prominent speaking roles of the film. And he, he, had, he had a fair number of lines. In fact, uh, no, I'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, but so anyway, uh, so yeah, he's a American actor. He's from Newton, Massachusetts. I don't know. Big dude. Yeah, he is a big dude. That is correct. I'm looking but, at his uh, IMDb page. He does a lot of uh, he does a lot of like horror movies and stuff. Anyway, so let's. We were at, at this point, I, I think I need to point out that because the, the the prince had that whole subplot too, and mm-hmm. it, that's one of the weird, almost weaknesses of the story because you know, Bolivar and his crew roll up and like the prince starts feeling threatened and starts you know. They, they get wind that, that he's kind of plotting against them or something. And it's just this weird kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, like a woman who is kind of tending to Ahmed's injuries said like, be careful of him. He's dangerous. And they're like, okay. Um, and, and they set this other thing up. And when they do one thing about it, like the entire plot line, the character, everything just gets dropped. But, uh, there, it does have some, still have some value in the story because they're talking in this whole thing. They're talking about, Oh, deception is the whole point. Anybody can calculate strength. That one's the prince has been doing it since we got here. Now he has to calculate what he can't see because he'd have to fear the unknown. And that's what the actual, you know, villain antagonist force of the, of the movie, Mm -hmm. the, the Vendole, that's what they are. The whole point is they are most effective when you don't know about them and you're afraid of them. So there, there is an important parallel there still to the story. So even though that whole sequence seems out of place, it adds because that's kind of Ahmed's role in the whole thing is like he's got kind of an outsider's point of view and he keeps kind of figuring certain things out that the Vikings may not have on their own in time. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move on from the cast now. <laughs> I yeah, have nothing else to add to that. It was very astute. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So moving on from the cast, let's talk some story points. And I, I think this is a this is one I have to bring up first and foremost before we go anywhere else. Uh, the contents of that bowl in the in the tent in the Viking camp. That's disgusting. Oh, yes. And uh, it turns my stomach every time. And I don't know if there's any historical accuracy to that. Maybe. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's it's truly gross. It, that, that doesn't it doesn't seem necessary to be. Sharing the same wash basin and like blowing snot rockets into it for the next guy to wash his mouth out with or something. Ugh. Yeah, like at that point, you just think to yourself, like, why? What? What? Why not just turn your head? Yeah. What is the point of this right here that I'm seeing? Like, other than the director said, let's have a gross out scene. Yeah, so, I have no idea. So often when I tell somebody that I don't really like gross out scenes and they're like, what's the threshold? This is the movie I I reference. Hmm. Like, here's my threshold. I can take up to the dirty, nasty bowl of water in 13th Warrior, 
and not a bit farther. That really pushes me to the extent in which I'm okay with what you put on the screen. Anything beyond that is just, I don't want to see. Yeah. And it, and it didn't serve a whole lot other than to show that there was a cultural difference between Ahmed and the Vikings. Yeah, but I mean, if that's the low-hanging fruit of, look, we think this thing's dirty, but they don't. Like, I mean, that's an equivalent scene to that is in almost any fish-out-of-water movie. True. So, but I just, I had to bring that up because uh, that was kind of kind of gross. All right. And for people who've seen the movie, and we've made a reference to it, this movie is, I would say, loosely based on Beowulf. Now, having never actually read the novel, I've, I've heard that it's actually a little bit more than loosely based on Beowulf. It's, it, it there are, it, it's certainly not exactly the same by any stretch, but there are many, many, many elements, uh, um, reused here. Yeah. I, I think the big one that, that, like, will immediately jump out to you, other than, the, you know, the main character's name sounding a lot like Beowulf in, in, in spelling, if not in pronunciation, is, uh, the, the, when, the Vendal. Yeah. Which kind of sounds like Grendel. Well, there's also King Hrothgar, which is the exact same <laughs> yeah, name. Yeah, the exact same name. There, there's the, the, yeah. the, the warrior coming from far away to save Hrothgar's kingdom yeah. from this enemy. There's different versions of the, they explicitly have the mother of the Vendal. The mother of the Vendal. That was, I remember when they, when I, I finally like read that they were supposed to be connected and then I'm putting it together. The mother thing is the one that immediately like, oh yeah. Yeah. So. And there's, there's more stuff too. There's, you know, the, the fire worm, the dragon. I mean, it shows up in a different part of the story and it, and it, you know, serves a different purpose. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bulvi dies of poison like Beowulf did. Um, in the first raid where, uh, in Beowulf, he ripped off Grendel's arm in the first raid in the 13th warrior here, they have that, like they said, uh, we may not have one of their bodies, but here perhaps is one of their claws. So they got like his, uh, uh, uh Grendel's hand or arm. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, yeah, a there, there's quite a few. It's almost like what, what Michael Crichton was thinking is let me make something which sounds historically viable, which Ahmed would have then taken and written down to become the anonymous story of Beowulf. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And that's not official. That's just me hypothesizing. Just don't, don't credit anyone with that other than me. And <laughs> when you do credit me, Judge Greg is two words. <laughs> Good press, bad press, just spell our name right. Yeah, that's all I can really ask of anyone. Uh, so, so moving, the, I, I really have to question, when these guys show up, and I know there have to be 13 of them, and now granted, where they show up, 13 people was more people than they had, but it really struck me as like, if this is such a big problem, how are the 13 of you really going to solve it? Yeah, uh, one of the, one of the things is in the book, apparently, um, at the very end, there was a lot of sort of imagery going around Bolvi kind of, uh, presenting the notion that this was, it, it, there was some supernatural influence on him to let him continue fighting. So there, this is, by extension, this is a world where some degree of mysticism must exist. I mean, the, the, the Vendel existing in the first place doesn't exactly make a lot of realistic sense. So yeah, I, I, I am. You I'm read the book, right? Did you? I did not read the book. I want to okay. read the book. I've, I've, yeah. I have consumed about half of the original Beowulf. Yeah. I, uh, so I've, I, you got me the book. You gave it to me as a gift and I will fully admit I have not read it yet, even though that was many years ago. <laughs> Uh, at least five years ago. Yeah. So, I'll get to it. 
sometime in the next decade, I'm sure. Uh, so in the book, they actually go through where the Vendal came from and what they were supposed to be. It's like a uh, 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 hanger-on tribe of Cro-Magnons or yeah, something? Yeah, uh, hanger-on tribe of Neanderthals. Okay. Yeah, not Cro-Magnons. You weren't even close. <laughs> Something. Yeah. Yeah, they were basically, they were like... Cavemen. Some, some cave, cavemen, Neanderthals, who just hadn't quite evolved and were still hanging around doing their thing. What what really what struck me about the, their their whole deal is people that are supposed to be like, you know, just spoken and whisper and, you know, there, there were many of them. So that's a lot of dead to eat. Like, just a lot of dead to eat, period. And for as much as, you know, they're like, we've never seen them, we heard they were a myth, like, they attack fairly regularly. Well, the one of the tricks with that is, clearly, where Bolvi came from was a long ways off. So, they were, you know, not exactly in close communication with Hrothgar's kingdom. And so, you can... It's, it was a, again, going back to Lord of the Rings, I mean, why do you think Gimli didn't know that... Uh, um, uh, the, 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 his cousin's kingdom had fallen apparently quite a long time ago. Well, they, they didn't talk to each other more than once every other decade. It's a similar sort of a situation yeah. here. But then so, even and, when they, and, even and when they get the, to the kingdom though, they still have to find like this one old guy with one eye who's the only eyewitness to whatever they were. And even he was basically just speaking in terms of like, cause he would have been a child, I imagine. And he's even speaking. No, no, no. They actually gave a, um, a timeline because okay. Hrothgar specifically said Eastvik, where the one-eyed guy came from, uh, was sacked two years ago. Oh, really? And the when, other. When did he say that? Uh, he, they, they, uh, Bolvi was asking him about the other, uh, colonies and settlements. And Hrothgar said, you know, Eastwick fell two years ago. And for the other colonies, we haven't heard from them for some months. Okay. So it, it, it wasn't, this wasn't like, you know, a generational thing. They, they just hadn't been around. And a couple of years ago, they showed up and got Hrothgar's kingdom and the rotisserie beat down. Yeah. So yeah, the one eyed guy was even saying that like he, he knew who they were based on like his grandfather was afraid of them. Yeah. So it said it was a hate from the old times. So yeah, like they knew this is something that people have known about. It's like, you know, a boogeyman kind of a thing for yeah. these people. And just because you haven't seen them doesn't mean they aren't there. They just showed up again and started sacking this kingdom. Yeah. So, but like once they started showing up to the kingdom, like they were regular. If there was a mist, they showed up. And yeah. man, it seemed like there was a mist just about every night in this movie. You know, and, and I get like you want to push the story forward, but then there, you know, there's always a mist. And when there's always a mist, I have to stop and think like, so wouldn't it have made sense if at least one of these nights there was not a mist? Maybe you all could get together and have some expositional dialogue. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I kind of got the impression that between the first and second raids, there was a night where they weren't because I mean, they fortified the entire town and even with a whole town, I, that, that, that seems like something that would take more than a day. Okay, well, I'll give you that. They just didn't show it well, so we can we can blame editing choices for that. I am going to blame editing for that one. That's what All I'm. All right. So, so that's that's John Wright. He was the editor. I'm talking to you, John. <laughs> I didn't yeah, know they, um, how many days were between those raids. Just you know, it's it's not rocket science, John. Show me a sun setting and then coming back up or something. Yeah, and they uh, uh so the 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 Vendol, their whole thing is this sort of guerrilla raid prospect where they just come in, just smash one or two, uh, take any dead bodies of theirs, take the heads of whoever they killed and maybe bodies as, as well. I don't know. 
Um, but they like, you know, they, they just do everything in the darkest night where you can't see them so they can keep this mystery about them that makes them terrifying. So you don't know the nature of what's killing you. That's a lot of planning for Neanderthals. Well, I mean, they, they, they explicitly said that they're clever because when they were leaving after the first raid, they followed the trails and it died in the rocks where you couldn't maintain a trail. So they are clever. I suppose. Uh, I mean, and, and it might be something where they just kind of their own sort of superstitious nature led them into a very effective pattern of guerrilla attacks. Maybe. I mean, if they, as Neanderthals managed to survive this long, would almost have to, you know, have to be clever like that. Yeah. I mean, they are functionally less intelligent. However, super strong. Seems to be. Yeah. I mean, as much as we tried to portray them as just men, like, they were also portrayed as freakishly strong. Yeah. At one point, even after taking a sword through the chest, one picked up Ahmed and tossed him across the room, so. So, yeah, that was in the first raid, where, Mm -hmm. you know, right after they get there... Uh, to to um, Hrothgar's keep, they set up kind of a, a defense. They they go into the uh, actually. There's another point here where they were trying to when they were getting ready for the Vendel to attack. They knew the mist was coming, and this is another point where Bolvai showed a lot of political savvy. Where Hrothgar yelled, "Bring me my armor! I'm going to stand the watch with you." And you know, this, Hrothgar was an old guy. Might have been a great king, but you know, he's well past his fighting days at this point. Right. And Bolvai knew that. Well, he's got to say that to to project strength to everybody or something. But he's going to be a liability if he's there. We'd have to protect him rather than trying to focus on our goal. Yeah. And so he says. He gives them an out. He says, we're going to protect the keep. If they get past us, you have to stop them. So we're going to be the first line. Yeah. And uh, and, and after that, they, they set up a thing where they're all, you know, pretending to sleep, which is kind of funny because I think Ahmed actually fell asleep. And he did. He, he, he starts awake. <laughs> and, like, they're all like, no, lay down. You know. Yeah, Herger just puts them down and explains what they're going to be doing. Yeah. Well, it it kind of struck me as they probably should have told him that ahead of time. Yes, they should have, but it's more funny that way. Yeah. It makes it funny, but you're like, all right, come on. Obviously, he doesn't know what he's doing. You've been yelling at him this whole movie about (laughs) what he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, But uh, maybe maybe we should actually back up a bit here, too, because there was the whole uh, setup where, you know, he starts out in Baghdad or wherever and Mm -hmm. gets exiled and he goes up to the the north, which I'm going to presume was in Russia where he encounters uh the the viking encampment yeah and uh uh i'm gonna presume it was just a viking raiding party along the river and uh that's when uh he gets introduced to bolvai and they get a messenger from hrothgar asking for help and that's when the whole you know herger translating for everybody uh, was happening although i've heard i wish i could find a translation for this because i've heard in the early portion if you understand swedish there's a lot of funny stuff in there. I've also heard that same thing. Like some of the stuff they say to each other is actually pretty amusing. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't have a good enough ear for Swedish to be able to transcribe it and feed yeah. it through a translation service. I'm, I'm just gonna have to take somebody's word for that. Yeah. Um. And then th- this is another. This leads to another sequence where they say they have a their own oracle who says we have to send 13 warriors and the 13th one can't be a norse man so they they pick uh ahmed and I, i'm him. assuming they they figured he'd probably be more suitable than melchizedek yeah probably because they're all looking at him and i'm i, I had occurred to me like no melchizedek's right there it's one or the well, other there, there was other people with ahmed too there well they i i thought they all left like they all just took off because they were afraid of the tartars the tartars and, and they, you know, they were that was also a really funny sort of uh reading between the lines 
mind thing where they're terrified of the Tartars. They get chased around, and then they just see a Viking longboat, and the Tartars are like, enough, we're out of here. Yeah. We do not want to mess with that. Yeah, and Ahmed's like, I'm, I'm supposed to talk to people. I'm an ambassador. <laughs> That's my job. Who are these people? Northmen. Are they dangerous? It depends. What do I do? Keep quiet. I'm supposed <laughs> to talk to people. Yeah. Um, but, uh, this of course was a, a kind of controversial thing about the movie where when they're running off to try to help Hrothgar, uh, over the course of a number of, you know, evening fireside meals and so forth and discussions, uh, Ahmed is listening to them and he starts picking out words from what they're saying and ev- eventually learns yeah. their language. Which, and- it, it does portray the passage of time, however, I would call into question the validity of being able to pick up a language by hearing it in, in verbal only without visual context. Yeah, well, th- another one of the problems is that this was a trek that probably took, you know, a couple months, mm-hmm. and the time lapse made it look like it was maybe a week or two. I, because oh. of the language thing, as much as I just poked it in the eye, it it what it did it give me some sense of time, and that in order to effectively learn the language like that, this would have had to have taken months. Yeah, it, it, and it's something that when the movie first came out, a lot of people made fun of it for. You just magically learned a new language, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like we said, this is a movie where you can't take things too literally and seriously. Uh, even though it kind of presents itself with that same air, which is kind of one of the problems with the movie. Um, on a cinematic sense, it made a lot, it, it was a lot easier to pick that up because, or a lot easier on the audience so that you didn't keep having to have Herger translating everything. Yeah. That been really, apparently in the book, he picked up some basics, but there was a lot more that still went through translation, which is a lot easier to convey in a book. Yeah, exactly. I am, I am perfectly happy with how they portrayed it in this movie. And yeah. I mean, it's one of those where if you want to criticize it for being unrealistic, then you almost want to look at somebody and like just look them in the eye and say, did you want more subtitles or would you rather everyone just spoke English so we can continue on with our lives? Which do you <laughs> want? Did you want more subtitles? Did you? And you got the guy's like sheepishly looking down like, no, I didn't, I didn't want more subtitles. Yeah, I didn't think so. Just yeah. let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Can't hold me back anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like like we said, then then they get to Hrothgar, talk to him, mm-hmm. and uh, the, then there's that first raid where they're just like, we have no idea what we're fighting. We 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 know there's this sort of legendary evil that's attacking. And they they kill a few of them, and after the first raid, well, actually that was one of the funny things in the first raid. Like clearly. Ahmed doesn't know what he's doing. He manages to to stab one of them in the chest, and like we said, they seem to be very strong. He just like picks Ahmed up over his head and throws him into the corner. He still had some fight left in him. Yeah, I see none of the ones we killed. I took two at least that could not have lived, as did yeah. we all. Even the little one, gutted one. Yeah, <laughs> that, and that that was another one of the things that just showed like how jovial these people were because when they found him buried in the corner. The reaction was, well, he didn't run. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I prefer it this way. I would have been really upset if it was one of these movies. Like, if this was a Steven Seagal movie, he would have walked in already being the best fighter of the group. Yeah. And so in this one, it's almost like, okay, so he wasn't the best fighter, but he you saw him develop throughout the course of the movie, and he brought something different, a new perspective mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, it, it was clear... That, you know, he was, he was like an important link with putting some stuff together. Not that the, the Vikings couldn't have put it together. 
uh, a lot of the times they did, they were just, <laughs> you know, a little bit behind where he was because of his different perspective. Yeah, because there was there was this one point when when he was finally like figured out the cave. It's this this weird line of questioning, like, well, how do you hunt a bear? And Leith's like, well, well you chase it down with dogs. And he's like, no, 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 no. How do you hunt a bear in the winter? And then then Herger is like, oh, you go to its cave with spears. <laughs> and so he says, so where's a cave? And then he, he, Weeth's just finally like, it's in the earth. Like, you guys didn't pick that up from. Well, that, that, that part was also because they, they had just spoken to the, the crazy old woman who said, seeker in the earth. So I, I immediately, even the first time I saw the movie thought, okay, so a cave. Yeah. And then they didn't quite put that together. And then of course, when they find out that there's like a Glen they're hanging out, you know, Bullvi is like, okay, is there a cave? But then they would have figured it out anyway. Cause the second they got there and they're like, oh, where are they going? Oh, in that cave. Yeah. They would have gone there anyway. <laughs> Because they even get there and be like, I don't see a cave. And they look and they see them go in a cave and like, oh, there it is. <laughs> like, so well, even if they hadn't had that whole conversation to figure out there was a cave, they would have figured it out when all the guys went in a cave. Yeah. However, it was a fun little piece of dialogue just sort of show that, you know, Ahmed's coming with a different mindset. And yeah. he's thinking about things from from a different background as they are. So he's putting some things together in a different way than they would be. Yeah, there was even a bit of visual language going on where in the first fight he still had his full Arabic gear on, and after that he kind of took some of it off, and by the end he was wearing, you know, the chain mail and everything, and he was, uh, you know, speaking the, uh, the sort of, I don't know, oath or chant. I would call it almost a Viking you know? prayer. I don't know what yeah. else to call it, but yeah, he was, he was doing their, uh, after he prayed his prayer, he prayed their prayer. Yeah. They're, they're almost their, their funeral incantation. Yeah. Which, which was, was trying to say, now it made for a cool moment, but it's really trying to tell you, like, they don't think they're going to survive this. Yeah. You know, well, like, in that final fight, no one should have expected to survive that. Yeah. They basically just thought, like, maybe we'll get lucky and take down the guy with the horns, but we're not going to live. We, no one's surviving this fight. Yeah. So they were all just like, all right, this is our funeral. Yep. But, uh, yeah. So they, uh, we're kind of jumping around a bit, but there they had, we had the first night and after the first night they're like okay we got to fortify the village yeah can we talk about that first night there's one more thing i really oh, sure. need to go back to uh when we're when when Hrothgar's, you know saying bring me my armor and and then bullvice like kind of very politically saying maybe that's not the greatest of ideas there was like one of the the driving factors of that is Hrothgar's daughter maybe he she gave bullvice like this really concerned like look and almost like told him like you're stepping in now you're not letting this happen and they had these looks throughout a, a lot of the second act and the whole time i'm thinking there's another story here between those two and i kind of want to see a movie of that yeah um i didn't pick up on that particular look i i did see them lock eyes several times and i think mm -hmm. that might be one of those subplots that got lost on the cutting room floor um, yeah, I uh, just uh, just from happenstance, I was really trying to catch something that Herger said just after that particular part. So I hit like the back button on my player more than once to see it. And it always took me back to that look between the two of them. So it was really very, very pointed to me because I saw her do it at least a half dozen times. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was very definitively once he says my armor, she turns and she looks at Bolivar and she just gives him the, the all knowing stink eye. And that prompts Bolivar to, to speak. And so I just, I just thought, like, between that and the looks when they first got there, I, I feel like there's another movie back there somewhere. Yeah, I think some of that might be somewhat um, influenced by the original Beowulf story where there was like, I, I want to say Hrothgar's daughter and Beowulf had some conversations going on in there too. 
Um, so there, there was some in the, in the story that inspired this, there was a, some degree of connection between those two characters. Yeah. I, I'm really wondering if maybe in the, uh, in the novel, there's, there's more to that, that they go into, mm-hmm. but I would, I would I, have to prob- actually read I, the I novel. I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, furthermore, there, like the reason she would give that stink eye look probably has something to do with. Like the first time they show up and Bullai comes up to Hrothgar and says, what troubles this place, my lord? And he has this really weird, like startled turn to, to Bullai. It, it really makes it look like his grip on reality is starting to loosen, mm-hmm. which yeah. when, when it immediately cuts to Herger saying, you know, he might be mad, kind of <laughs> yeah, kinda, like that, th- that's not exactly what Herger's saying. Cause he's, he's saying like, what do you mean, Vendal? These are just a boogeyman. They don't exist. That's what he means by he might be mad thinking mm-hmm. that that's what's causing this. But when you see him have that weird start and then Herger saying that you think, is, is he going senile? Yeah. I kind of got that from it too. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's actually one of the things that I really like about this movie. Despite all of its flaws, there's a whole bunch of little things that you can notice, little unspoken, character building moments actually there's another one one of one one that i really like is when they were uh departing the first time from the encampment to travel to rothgar's kingdom where they're they're coming out and getting together and herger comes out with three women on his arm Mm -hmm. (laughs) no one says anything about it but i mean i guess the guy's kind of a player yeah i i i imagine it was the the night before deployment and he just wanted to party hardy charlie yep yep yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. After after the after the first night, so we're back to here. Yeah. Plot. Okay. I bet. I'll let you get back. Four. Yeah. You, you, that's where we were. <laughs> I'll let you get back. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, they work on fortifying the village, and that's when they have the the sequence where you know they, they're trying to lay spikes down in earth and and put up bulwarks, and this is what I think probably took more than a day. Um, but they had um the bit where they um. They were trying to show uh, Ahmed how to take wooden uh, stakes that were planted in the earth and use a sword to cut them at an angle so they're spikes. And he was clearly incapable of doing this with the heavy sword that they gave him. And so he went to a grindstone and ground it down into a scimitar. Yeah. And that's where the line, give an Arab a sword, he makes a knife, comes from. And then he does these fancy twists with the sword, points it at the the, uh, Irish Viking's neck. To which he unflappedly responds, when you die, can I give that to my daughter? And everyone starts laughing. I kind of took, like, it it looks a little bit out of character because before he wasn't able to fight at all. And now he's got this sword and he's doing all this fancy stuff with it. And that's another one where I kind of explain away with, you know, he was kind of a, 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 in a more noble house, I suppose, sort of a rich house. So he probably had some, if not extensive practical training, at least some show training with uh, a scimitar. I'm sure uh, it was fancy. now I have no historical background on this, but I'm sure that was if you were well to do, you had tutors in all sorts of different disciplines. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure one of those was sword fighting. Yeah. So while he may not have been a great warrior, he was at least a little bit handy. And so if you're going to take someone who's a little bit handy versus someone who has had absolutely no training, he could probably whoop up on your average Joe on the street. Yeah. Or some Neanderthal that thinks he's a bear. Yeah, that too. Um, but this leads to the conclusion of the political subplot where when they, um, the prince that we've been talking about, he earlier, he was kind of jabbing at Bolvai saying, it's like, oh, I'm sure you must be very brave. 
but you're going to need a lot of luck if you're going to go up against the Vendol, which is really weird when you consider if he failed against the Vendol, apparently the prince wasn't doing very good defending the kingdom against him. So what's what's his beef in all of this? And yeah, Olvi again showing a weird bit of political savvy says, I thank the Lord for his advice. I don't recall hearing any exploits of his apart from killing his brothers. <laughs> yep. Um, so clearly the prince kind of has it out for them. And uh, this is when they get word of, um, you know, he's plotting against them. So Herger and Bolvai say, okay, we need to make an example. And they pick the this big redhead that was hanging out with the prince. And Herger picks a fight that is worthy of Fight Club. Uh, it really was, yeah. Yeah, so they're yeah. working, digging the trenches, and Herger, like, just tosses dirt onto the big redhead, uh, Angus's back. And he's like, watch where you're digging. Oh, sorry. And he does it again with this huge, solid clump of dirt and just, like, poof, splat right on his back. And Angus turns around and says, you dig like a dog. And he turns, Herger turns around, did you call me a dog? I said, you dig like one, flinging dirt about carelessly like an animal. Oh, so, so now, now I'm, I'm an, an animal. animal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really You're was. You're not listening. I'm deaf. <laughs> yeah, it was really Tyler Durden told told Herger, go pick a fight with someone and lose. <laughs> except, kind of. Kind of, except Herger ends up winning. And, and what it was a brilliant part of the movie. When yeah. Herger is like, he's winded, he can barely stand, he's getting beat, he's getting whooped. And yeah, because, I always, so because of I this always, argument, yeah. they go into this duel where they each get three shields. And I guess that's how you keep score. And that was one of the other great lines of Herger. It's like, what's going on? He's sharpening his sword. It's like... Because they went to this duel. What's going on? An engineering dispute. <laughs> that was yeah. I now I you know he's I, bigger I, than you. Yeah. yeah, and younger. Bet on him if you like. I have always felt uh, up until this most recent viewing, I always kind of felt like, oh, you know what, Angus. I feel bad for him because he's just he's a pawn in this. He didn't have it coming. Yeah. But then, like as you really look into it, it's like, okay, but Angus also didn't have to agree to this fight. And he also he looks to the prince is like, hey, should I kill this man who came to help us? The prince is like, okay. And he's like, all right, I'm going to kill this man who came to help us. Then yeah, I'm like okay, so his hands aren't clean, so I, I'm I'm better with it then. Because yeah, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, oh man, poor innocent Angus. Now I and, realize the truth. No man is innocent. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, the, the dialogue between Bolvai and Ahmed during this whole thing, you know, he said, uh, uh, you know, he was saying this is foolish. And Bolvai says, yes, it was foolish and expensive. We'll miss Angus tonight. We'll miss yeah. his sword. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, nah, he, he was a valuable asset. And it's a shame we had to kill him to do this. Mm-hmm. But the fight was the fight was great, too. Like you said, you got um uh, Herger, like, he never took out one of Angus's shields, and, like, the first swing from Angus, like, obliterates one of Herger's shields, mm-hmm. and goes back, and then they, they do another round, and he goes back and gets his last shield, and he's, like, barely able to stand, winded, and beat up, looking, and he eventually loses his last shield, and, you know, puts himself down for, like, holds his head down for whatever might come, like you said, the prince tells Angus to, to take him out, and he just really quickly gets up and beheads Angus, yeah, it was it was very fluid motion that kind of showed that that was his plan the entire time. Yeah, and, and, and I, I got to point out, man, Angus, if you had just said, you know what, I don't need to kill you, it, not only would it have ruined their whole plan because there goes the deception. If he just says like, no, I'm not going to kill this man, yeah. but you know, it it also he he would have survived if he had just decided to be the bigger guy. But since he decided it was perfectly okay with killing a- or with killing Herger, eh, he got what had coming to him. Yep, it's, uh, that's uh. Uh, age, wisdom, and guile beating youth and strength. Mm-hmm. But uh, another another one of those kind of, you know, unspoken or you'll miss it thing. 
uh, right after he kills Angus, Herger throws a sack of money towards the prince. And that was actually, um, I forget the name of it, but it was a practice where if you killed someone, you would pay their families or friends or whatever uh, the price for their head, which was to sort of compensate and um, sort of defuse revenge killing. Yeah. It, you know, it was an actual thing. It wasn't just like paying funeral costs to, as he said, see to your friend. Right. I, that walk that Herger does, like, right after, because Herger has pretended <laughs> to be winded this whole time, and I mean, he just, he up, he cuts off Angus's head, and he walks away, <laughs> com- with his composure completely regained, and that's when, <laughs> that's it's what the really did It's the equivalent of walking away from an explosion without looking. <laughs> yeah, although it, they showed he clearly was a little bit frazzled, because he did dump all that water on his head right following that, but. Well, he's been, he was fighting out in the sun, that's gonna be one of the most, just, stamina draining experiences of your life life mm-hmm. yes well done all right so we we need to go let's talk about the raid in into yeah. the cave because this this raid into the cave it really these guys are lucky they were not spotted because that while they would be nominally trying to be stealthy they are walking around in the cave with a bunch of torches yeah <laughs> the, the the logistics of the cave raid are definitely weird you know just i mean credit there they it's like okay we're trying to be stealthy everybody take off their armor but, uh, but then, and that, light up your like, torches, you know, it was, and they, they, you know, crawl through a crevice and they have a couple of tense moments of almost being spotted. And they do this weird, like rappel down a, a, a waterfall yeah. to try to get to the mother. And yeah, that, that whole thing is weird and implausible, but you know, it, in a, it, it kind of makes sense in a D and D way, but not in any actual yeah. <laughs> tactical way. I really sort of got that idea. Like this is, there's a dungeon master somewhere going like, <laughs> there is a waterfall. You must hit a tether in order to gain to the waterfall. Roll to see if you get caught swinging. Yeah. And or, or rather the dungeon height. master is like, good lord, the perception checks for all the Vendol are terrible. <laughs> yeah. And so they get to the room. This was, this was kind of another instance where I didn't really like the editing. They get into like the, the Wendell's mother room. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to call it, but like the room that had the big old statue of the symbol for the Vendal's mother. And I think it was Ahmed or somebody says, look at your feet. Mm-hmm. And they put the torches to their feet. And then like, just, I guess to help us, the audience, they then illuminate the entire room. Yeah. To the point where you, they would not have needed to put torches at their feet to see what it was that they were stepping yeah. on. It just all the skulls everywhere. Yeah. Also, I find it hard to believe they were walking on that and didn't once think like, huh, that's this is that's kind not of stone. <laughs> this is a very weird flooring we're walking on. Let's check this out. Make sure we can get our footing. Yeah. But uh, and, and this is this. So they get to the, the Vendel's mother. And this is one of the things that actually bothers me about Michael Crichton's changes, because apparently like when they get there, she's this like live dark action girl type thing and this is not the a mother this does not match the idols that you see and apparently that was michael crichton's choice to cast someone in this role to or to reshoot it with someone in this role who did not who is not more in line with those uh idols which was a very like the body of a very let's say robust woman Mm -hmm. 
Now, what didn't wasn't there at one point like the Vendel's mother was supposed to be like somebody completely different, like an old woman? There wasn't supposed to yes. be a fight there, and then yes. they switched it because I believe the person who's on the credits is the old woman, and that the person who actually played the Vendel's mother went uncredited. I don't know about that part, but yeah, it was. I may to be have been like making that up. It, it, it was originally supposed to be more like an old woman that more matched the idols. Yeah, but then they, I guess they they wanted to sort of make they uh, they wanted to build in because the uh, the final showdown between uh, the Vendel leader and and Bulvai, that wasn't in the original script. Hmm. So I think they set that up so that they would they would like set up that final fight, and to do that, Bul Bulvai had to take a poison dart from. I don't know. I'm again. This is half stuff I've heard, half wild supposition. But you put it together, and that's what you get at Hero Talks. So I <laughs> I think that's sort of what caused that to happen. I, I I wouldn't be shocked because they had like the. Fighting the leader of the warriors at the end just kind of felt tacked on. It sort of did, and especially when he died, and then somebody called for the retreat, which was as odd to me in that, like, okay, well, if that guy called for the retreat, isn't he the the leader of, of the Vendal? Was there somebody whose only job was, you watch that guy, <laughs> and you make sure he stays alive, and if he dies, we all go back home and we reevaluate our life decisions. <laughs> They're going to start selling death sticks. Yeah. You know, they might sit there and be like, you know, these these little stone idols we have, these could probably be some good souvenirs. We wanted to, like, set up a little kiosk. <laughs> you know, because there's still, there, there are, when he kills them, there are still enough of them that they could just overwhelm that entire little kingdom and just keep going. Yeah. The idea I, that as leaderless, they're like, oh, I, we don't need food. <laughs> you know? I mean, the, the the idea there is what the, the old woman, the crazy old woman said, is that yeah. to win a war, you have to break your opponent's will. If you're going to break the Vindal's will, you have to kill their mother and the leader of their warriors. And if that had been done in the cave, which caused them to not raid, maybe. But they were mid-raid when he broke their will, and it's almost like they literally broke it like, oh, well, yeah. that sucks. It, 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 was, it was a to-the-second <laughs> change. Right. It was almost to the point of being magical or <laughs> scripted. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't like it when my movies are scripted. Yes. I much prefer unscripted movies. Like comic book. That's actually a really good movie. Anyhow, yeah. this is a movie we like, so we're going to keep our uh, our conversation to this movie. Yeah, but that was so anyway. But the the, the fight with the mother, and I was I was really going to look up who the actress was who actually played the mother, so I could say it on Hero Talk to give her some credit. But since I can't remember where I heard the story that she was uncredited in the credits, and again, all these names are almost unrecognizable to me in the in the actual credits list. I don't think it would have been doing her any any decent good. But they they did change the whole idea of who was actually going to be playing the um the mother of the of the Vendel in order to create a fight scene and not have a bullvide just roll up in and kill <laughs> just him. murdering an old woman. Yeah, I I could I could see how they would want to go a different route than that. Yeah, yeah, uh, but there there was that other the other the raid on the town the fight sequence between the first night and the cave raid. We had some interesting stuff too, because that's where they had the fire verm, the, or the dragon. Mm -hmm. And th th actually, uh, a, a weird thing they did was in this raid, they used the same mechanic twice where Ahmed sees someone out in the field and they go pick him up because first he picked up that kid from the, the farmstead, uh, mm -hmm. before the first raid. And here he sees another little girl and he runs out and picks her up. It, it's strange yeah. that they did that twice. It was anyway. weird that they did it twice. However, the way I've justified that to myself is, well, if Ahmed has better eyesight than all the others, 
he's still going to have better eyesight the next night than he'd had better eye, you know? <laughs> yeah. If he's good at doing it, it's going to be him who picks him up again. Now, yeah. why there's just another lone child in the field again, I don't know, but that's not Ahmed's fault. <laughs> no, no. My my problem is that there's another lone child in the field for some reason. Yeah. But it did, it did give us the great line of, because he runs out and he sees, because the fire firm, they just see this sort of glowing serpentine-looking thing mm-hmm. out in the field. And he runs out, picks up the girl, and he sees it. It's just a bunch of cavalry with torches. He runs back. It's like, did you see? Herger asks him, did you see the fire firm? It's like, yes, it's cavalry, hundreds of them. <laughs> Herger's response is great. It's, I'd, I'd rather prefer a dragon. <laughs> yeah. But it makes a lot of sense where, like, okay, it's spitting fire. Yeah, they're just chucking torches into the village trying to set everything on fire. <laughs> and this is actually, I think, one of the weakest bits in the movie because they're they're fighting off the raid eventually they're able to the the vendol are able to break through the barricades and get into the the uh village proper and then it's like impossible to understand what's going on like where everything is in relation to each other yeah. Uh, as far as you can tell, there's a bunch of weird fighting and they, uh, uh, break the cavalry charge with some spikes that they're holding. And when they break the charge, the Vendol just sort of stop and leave. And I'm not entirely sure why. The closest I can figure is the leader saw a, a, a few horsemen go down and say, okay, we've set the village on fire. We don't have to do any more right now. Let's not let them exact any more from us and we'll leave. Although that doesn't make a whole lot of sense on its own. That's the best I can come up with. And that's why I think that's just like the weakest part of the movie. Yeah, no, I will uh, I will accept that. So of anyway, course, so, while we've been talking, I, I, I need to put this in here. Sure. While we've been talking, I did look up the Vendal's mother. So I was correct. Uh, there was an actress, Susan Willis, is, is the actress who was originally supposed to play the Vendal's mother, and she was older. Um, but when Michael Crichton sort of took over the film and they did a lot of reshoots for him, Michael Crichton, I should say, um, they, they changed it because they didn't like the idea of Bale Bullvie, uh just killing off an old lady. Yeah. Uh, so they, they got the uncredited actress is Kristen Cloak. Hmm. She played the, the Vendal's mother. Um, she's been in a, not a whole lot of famous other movies, but other stuff you, you might have seen. She has been on the show Felicity. She was in Millennium. For people who like to watch Millennium, I don't know what else hey, to tell you. Hey, Lance Henriksen. There's a reason to watch Millennium. Oh, Lance Henriksen. That's right. Very talented actress. Uh, she was in the, the scary movie Black Christmas. I don't know if that's your thing. Maybe not. All right. So there he is. <laughs> Kristen but, uh, Cloak, okay. she was the one who actually played uh, the Vendal's mother. So I, I looked it up so that you don't have to all worry about what actually happened there. Didn't want <laughs> to leave everyone on the edge of their seat and then just leave them wanting. So there you go. I found it. Okay. One more thing I have to point out about the uh, the Fireworm raid was this is when uh, Ahmed manages to kill one of the Vendal and their headdress comes off and he has the, it's a man, it's a man. It's a man. It's a man. He starts like killing several of them in this like fury because this is the point where I mentioned earlier, like all of his confusion about what's going on. Like he clearly doesn't believe in supernatural stuff. He says earlier, like, I don't believe in dragons, whatever the fire worm thing you're talking about is. But, uh, there's also clearly because of the mystical nature and some certain just like things he can't quite wrap his head around. He can't quite fathom 
what's happening, and this is the point where all of the superstitious nature of what the Vendel are doing just melts away, and he's just ready to rail on all of them. He's not really afraid of them anymore in any sort of unfathomable way. And he's just, like, wailing on some of them, and he's going crazy, and Herger just says, It's all right, little brother. There are more. He's like, go ahead, go, kill, kill. Yeah. Kill all of them you want. There's plenty. <laughs> you don't need to get so into it. <laughs> Yeah. You don't you don't have to spend all your time making sure this one's super dead. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I I there was it's very well done. Of course, any Herger scene is gonna be very well done. So <laughs> like when very... he's on the wall and he's just laughing crazy while firing <laughs> arrows. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the, that was also the raid where like that one really, really big dude, I have no idea which which one he is, what his name was, but he like punches out one of the Vendel horses. <laughs> he does. <laughs> He's the guy who took like the Vendel had six these weird spears. These chucking spears, and he took like six of them before he went down. Yeah. Like three in the front, three in the back, and he was still sort of fighting, so. Yeah, he, he, I mean, it was no crazy Boromir death scene, but yeah, like, after he took a, the first spear, he didn't really fight anymore, but he didn't fall. Yeah. I mean, and I appreciate that. As, as much as it would be cool if he took the spear and kept fighting, uh, when you already have Bolivai, who's supposed to be going into the final fight with, you know, poisoned and he's on his deathbed, it, you can't go to that well too many times. You really have to sort of save it for the end. And that's one of the other cool things about it. I think he was one of the oldest guys there, and he was also one of the biggest. Like, that yeah. guy was, like, straight up yoked. Yes. Yes, I agree. And he, he probably had the second most badass furs out of all of them, save Bolivar. Bolivar's furs were, like, Lord Bolivar had the Night's Wash yeah. wished he had furs that awesome. Yes, I, yeah. Bolivar had very good costume design. Oh, yeah. I mean, all around very good costume design. Very I, I good should... costume, very good sets. Yeah. Everything looks great. Very well, I mean, gorgeous movie. And like, as you said, this is before Lord of the Rings really became popular, where having that sort of big sweeping set like that it wasn't really, you know, people didn't really give it as much thought as they do now. Yeah. So. And, and another thing that's kind of worth considering, Lord of the Rings movies, each of them cost less than this movie. That is also correct. Yeah. Of course, Maybe Lord not of the, the Rings movies, movies, but they had a lot more CGI than this one did. True. That's that's kind of another nice thing about this. It's pretty much all practical effects. Right. And and if I haven't made this emphatically clear on Hero Talk before, I will prefer a practical effect over a special effect 10 times out of 10. If you can pull it off right. Yeah, it's got to be done right. All right. You know, listen, if I see the wire, you're not pulling it off right and I'm not going to be into <laughs> it. But if you pull it off right, it'll look better than anything you're, you'll digitally able to do. Because the second you use a computer to create something, you have dated the movie. Kind of true. All right. Well, anyway, we've been going on for a while, and I, I think we got to start wrapping it up. So we're yeah. going to go into what our favorite part of 13th Warrior was. And so, Nick, since you're the only other one here, <laughs> I'm going to start with you. Uh, what's your favorite part of 13th Warrior? It has to be the the duel, and, and really in particular the setup for the duel, the, that whole sequence that I quoted. I just – it's so funny. <laughs> I, I agree with you. That is also my favorite part of the movie. And normally when this happens, I just pick another one on the fly because it doesn't make for, for good listening when we both have the same favorite part. But uh no, I'm not going to do that. That was my favorite part of this movie. I can't compromise. I love the duel. <laughs> it, it doesn't tie into everything else so well, but this movie does have enough weird disjointed parts that... You know, you you just can't you can't ignore that scene. That that might be another reason why kept, that whole subplot got kept in the movie is because it is just too awesome. Well, first you have Herger, who's or Herger, 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 
Herger. First, you have Herger, who's already my favorite character in the movie. I mean, that's that's a thing. The, I've established that. Favorite character in the movie. And then you have this very defining part of his character, where even the audience is led to believe, can this guy survive it? And we are also fooled by the deception. And, and we really, then you have to stop and think, like, what is this guy capable of? You know, we're in the same part. Like, wow, there's there's much more to this guy than I originally thought. And this was also the guy who understood Greek and Latin at the beginning yeah. of this movie. So, I mean, you, you take the character I like the most and give him his most defining section of the movie where you really, you show uh, this level of depth that even as a deep character we hadn't seen before, how am I not going to love that scene? Well, I can I can sort of cover for you here, too, because I do have a distinct second favorite moment. All right, well, go for it then, yeah. And that is the very end of the final battle. The final battle's in some ways kind of anticlimactic because there there isn't a lot of fight choreography. It's done in these kind of slow motion shots. There's mm-hmm. no sort of overall sense of positioning or exactly what's going on. It's just... The remaining Vendel raiding out of revenge for losing the mother. It's raining, so everything's, you know, clearly illuminated. There's no mystery about what's going on. They didn't even attack at night. Right, um, yeah. And you got uh, Bolvai, who's coming out. I almost called him Beowulf there. Bolvai's <laughs> coming out. He's been poisoned. They already know he's going to die. He already figures he's going to die. He already more or less asked Ahmed to write to write down his life story so he could be remembered. And uh, Hrothgar has already said that I'll bury you as a king so you don't have to worry about whatever, you know, dying as a pauper concerns there might have been. He knows he's going out. They know the Vendel are coming and they're scared that uh, there is uh, one exchange between Edtho and Herger. It's like, I wish Bolvai was with us. Eh, it's a small matter. He's, they, they figure they're going to die. Yeah. Uh, they and Bolvai comes out limping, barely able to stand. They do their sort of funeral incantation and the fight starts and the leader starts like attacking Bolvai. The fight has a couple of neat spots in it where Bolvai just takes his broadsword and slams the leader in the chest so hard he launches him off his horse, mm-hmm. which is cool. Rushes him, stabs him, kills him. They fall back, you know, whatever. All of that done, Bolvai then sort of steps up into the remaining bulwark, sits down. This dog that's been with him sits at his feet. The, the dog's actually with him the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Except I wasn't really clear on how the dog got back from the cave. I wasn't really clear on where the dog was at most given points in the movie. <laughs> but yeah. that aside, dog's with him. He stabs his sword down into the wood. Sits down like it's a throne, stares at his retreating enemy, and dies. Just sitting there, eyes open, looking at him run away. Like, this dude went out like a boss. (laughs) Yes, he did. Like, if you're going to die from poisoning, it's like, screw you, I'm going to finish this anyway. And this is the moment where in the book, apparently, there was a lot of, you know, supernatural symbolism going on with how he was able to get up. Hmm. Yeah, they they really didn't make it look supernatural in the movie. It really no, they just made like it look just, like he was just he was clearly just, just super guy. determined. Yeah. yeah, he was like, I'm not which dying. Is, which I'm is cool bad. for a movie, too. Yeah, it, it works for the movie, too. All right, before we score it, one quick point I want to point out. We've been picking on Weath a little bit and saying that he was Irish. And while his accent was Irish, he does clearly wear part of a uh, Scottish kilt. And yeah. the actor, Tony Curran, is a Scottish actor. However, I still stand by what we said. He sounds and looks Irish. Yeah, he very much sounds like the guy from uh, uh, Braveheart who claimed that Ireland was his island. 
Yes, they they did. So there's maybe we'll say a little Scottish and Irish in there, but yeah. Anyway, it, it, just it, it was it was very it, it's a very weird and kind of anachronistic presence in the movie. Yeah. All right. So now now it's time to uh, to give this movie a score. So Nick, what would you score? I almost said Beowulf. I had to stop myself. <laughs> I had to stop myself for a second there and be like, nope, that's not the movie. What would you score Thirteenth Warrior? I would score it all thirteen moons in the year. That's fair. <laughs> I believe I would score Thirteenth Warrior the eleventh warrior, who incidentally was Hergar. I thought he was tenth. I believe anyway. he was eleventh. I did enough. I did look it up real quick. Yeah, Hergar is eleventh. The tenth warrior was Holga, the wise, obviously. <laughs> I thought that was the superstitious. No, I don't even know. One of them was no. Lizard the superstitious one was Skeleton. Yeah, was he was the twelfth warrior. Yeah, he was the one that had the tattoo on his face, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Um, he was the one who also got shot with a whole bunch of arrows while he was on the roof trying to take the flaming spear thing off. Yeah, he was trying to to get one of the torches off the roof so it wouldn't set the the hut on fire. Yeah, not everybody died ceremoniously in this movie, and I I kind of appreciate that. You know, like I I sort of I was really hoping it you know that it wasn't going to be like everyone had to have their own version of a heroic death. Yeah, some some people were able to get one, some people just got unceremoniously killed. In- Particularly in that first night, they just like. There's a whole bunch of ruckus, and you see a couple people getting their heads ripped off. And Yeah, but you have to do it that way. You can't have everyone have their epic self-sacrificial death. Not when you got 13 of them. No, not when you have 13. Like, you can get away with it in, like, Halo Reach when you really only got to do that with, like, five people. Yeah. But 13 in, in a 100-minute movie, that that's a little much. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I do have to point one more thing out, the, the, the sure. whole 13 moon thing. That was one of the funny sort of really subtle translation jokes. When uh, at the beginning in the encampment, the oracle was saying something and, and Herger was translating and, and uh, I, I can't remember the name already. Omar Sharif's character was, was speaking it back. It's like she calls for warriors in the number of moons. And he looks to Herger and Herger just says, the camp, try the camp, which means 13. It's like 13. Ah, ah, the number of months in the year, the number of lunar months in the year. So that's. That's where my rating came from. Yes, I felt yes. compelled to explain the joke, and yes, that means it's not good comedy, but mm-hmm. I, I that was one of those subtle things that I liked. That's fair. All right, now is the time on Hero Talk for final thoughts. Nick, you got 30 seconds. Go. All right, I've been playing some uh, Dark Souls 3. I got that, but... Uh, at the moment, I found that uh, actually I am more interested in spending time on Doom because I have an appetite for more immediate gratification at the moment, and that is something that Doom gives a lot more than Dark Souls. Not that I won't get through Dark Souls and get its slow burn gratification, but man, it's fun to just like tear through stuff sometimes. Excellent. And for me, uh, Amazon seems to have gotten some Ecto Cooler in. So for if you're an Amazon Prime member, you go to Prime Pantry. I think, uh, depending on when you actually hear this podcast, you may still be able to find some Ecto Cooler in stock. It tastes exactly like you remember it. That might not be a good thing. Just full <laughs> disclosure. But hey, uh, if, if you were really having an appetite for some nostalgia, pick up some Ecto Cooler. All right. And that is it for Hero Talk. So Nick, thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Fun time talking about this movie. Excellent. I'm glad we finally were able to do this movie. It was sort of the no-brainer that we hadn't hit in a long time. (laughs) And when we started, we were both saying, I think we can do a hero talk just from memory. 
I yeah, I'm glad we watched it again though because I picked up on yeah. some stuff. So anyway, if uh, you want to give us any feedback or if you have a movie you want to hear us do on Hero Talk, the address is Hero Talk at Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, articles, let's plays, uh, videos, reviews, you should check out Enthusiacs.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search for Enthusiacs. And until next time, this is Judge Greg saying, "Luck often enough will save a man if his courage holds."